What's up, what's up, what's up, my Roller Fancier friends? What's going on, what's going on, what is going on? Look, had a few good conversations today with, like, about a, with a few good gentlemen. And we were just talking about, you know, the further, further in the conversation about the, the kit situation. Okay. I think we left off about the kit components, right? Um, now, I want to go into... Um, Let's just talk about kits in general. Okay. What is, what, what is a good kit? Seriously. Now I've seen people score 100 points and do say that's a really good kit. And I've seen people score 500 points and people not give them no props. Um, sometimes I can understand the judge may be a little little hyped up and maybe put a little too much emphasis on what the kit actually did you know what I'm saying to making it seem like it was way better than it was but we just talking about kits in general I've seen some good kits I've seen several um, that weren't my kits I'm talking about every, some other kits you know and how to approach kit competition now one of the best kits I've seen, I think, was at Norm Reed House, 90, 91-ish. It was when I was still playing basketball, so heavy 90, 91-ish. I was on the money fly with Derek, well, not Derek McGee. I was with Rayvon Hall and Juan Navarro, Bruce Hall, and several others. Where the kid scored an amazing lot of points on the old scoring system, which was a 5, 10, 15, 20 point system. No multipliers and modifiers and none of that. But these days I see, I be seeing, I seen some kids that, that come close. I seen a kid at Kevin McCray house come close. Um, Carlos Conejo kid come close to that. I seen a pretty good kid at Alton's real good kid at Steve Smith, real good kid at Willie Wrights. And then the, the IE area, Riverside area, San Bernardino, San Bernardino area, you had Jerry, you had Marshall, Robert Parker, Dwayne Holmes, Tim Decker, Randy Gibson, just name a few. Okay. Since then, I haven't seen no really, really, really good kids. I said, oh yeah, I have seen a few in the Valley. Ron Anno, Dave Goss, Big Bob Southall, and even Hollywood. Hollywood flew some pretty good birds too at one time. They were actually really pretty decent. But what I'm saying is when you see these good kids, um, what dudes don't do is they try to they try to do it, they try to model their birds after the individual birds they got. Right? So what you, what I would, what I would want people to do is to look at it like this. When you buy, when you get birds from guys like, like that, that have done well, what you first must understand is, they are not going to sell you their best pairs. It's, it's not smart. Um, it's not preserving their chance to get better by selling you the best pairs and having their best interest to sell you their best pairs. They're not going to do that. They will sell you birds off those birds to give you a start in the right direction. And you have to understand that. So, 
after that, it's then up to you to do to do, take all the steps necessary and the selections necessary to move that family forward or to maintain the same level of performance that the person you got from had. I've never bought birds from people to maintain what they had. I bought birds from people to, to improve on what I had to make it better than what they had. That was my always my thought. So, so when I watched my birds in the 90s and early 2000s, I noticed something. They can roll as frequently as anybody birds, but they didn't set up like some of the bigger breaking kits. So what I did was I brought in birds to add that trait to the birds. And then if I, and everything I seen that they lacked, I brought it in and cultivated until I got what I wanted without losing the stuff that I already established. That was the hard part. But what I'm telling you guys is, when you get kit birds from somebody, what you gotta understand is you're not getting the best birds. You're getting birds that are down from the best birds. And that's not a bad thing. They're giving you, <clears throat> they're giving you the tools to create your own and move forward. But what you also must understand is, if you don't do anything different than what they did, you can only be as good as they were or as good as they are. <clears throat> so if you give your purpose mind that's averaging 500 points, at best you can you can match that. At best, to exceed that, you have to do something different. And some guys, no, you don't need to do nothing different. You don't need to. Do yeah, that's why you you got this person birds and you stuck in that person's shadow. Because they didn't give you. They're not gonna let you get their at, at absolute best. Because it's, it's not it's not in their best interest to do that. And, and you gotta understand that it's not a bad thing. It just don't make no sense for them to breed. If they're trying to get the tens and they had nine, and they sell you all the nines and they keep all the eights and sevens. That don't make no sense to me. So I don't expect their best. Just give me the right tools to help me move forward. That's all I ask. Or give me the tools that if you send me a bird, I need this bird to bring this to the table. And that's what I want and that's what I need. So, and, and these guys got to think the same way when you're breeding your birds. You have to think the same way. So, so you got your birds from this person, Joe, Joe Mo. Okay, now Joe Mo got his birds going anywhere between three to 500 points, 500 on a good day and 300 points on the average day. Let's just say that. You get birds from this guy right here. Now you're trying to emulate he got without having the birds that he has. The exact birds, the exact maintenance. And what you gotta understand is if you have full brothers and sisters to each pair he has, don't mean they're gonna produce the exact same. I wish it was that simple. I wish it was that easy, but it is not. I want you guys to understand that it is not. So so you got the birds from Jomo, you breed them, and he's going through the five, you scoring anywhere from two to three fifty. It's not that he didn't say your birds as good as his. It's up to you to make the decision what you can put in them birds to get them to that next level. You, you don't have to keep buying birds exactly from him. All you got is all you gotta do is watch your birds and recognize what they actually need to go forward. And we do say, oh, this family don't need nothing. But yet and still, you still walk walk or trail in the shadow of the person of your predecessor, but they don't need nothing. And you still not qualifying your, your region or dominate your region and you're not winning the big flies. But they don't need nothing. But now what you gotta do is say, what, what is it? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and say, 
what could these, how could these birds get better? What do I need to put in here to make them better? And people, people just go back to training and just do this, just do that, make it like it's so simple, but it is not simple. All the guys, you know, most of the guys that say that, most of the guys that say that, they might have one good fly where they might win or something, and you never hear from them again. So, they just had a lucky day. Oh, you think it's luck? I think it would be luck. But there are other variables that play, that take when they're playing to the, the whole scenario of these, these other kids and these other breeders. But you get your birds, your Joe, your Joe Mo birds, okay? They say they're 30, 40 feet on, on, on individually. And they're anywhere between 10, 15 feet on the break, which happens a lot. How often do they, every bird give you that 10 to 15 on a break? All the birds going? All they're going, but which bird's not going on a break? I mean, you could watch them, you get them better to a certain degree, but you got to pay attention. But you're going to have to say, you know what? If these birds would commit to that 30 foot on a break, maybe I can move up a little bit. Yeah, you'll move up a little bit. Your quality, your multipliers will go up. Okay, now how do I get them there? First, you gotta identify the problem. What's the breeders? See who's giving you what, which birds is bred here for what, which birds are bringing what traits. I always reiterate, I always go back to the sports coaching. Now, you coaching, you trying to build a team. You're gonna go traditional basketball point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. Okay. To have a successful team, you need a center. That can get you at least one to three blocks a game, 10 to 15, but at least 10, 12 rebounds a game, 17 to 25 points a game, maybe assist, an assist or two. Now, the power forward is, supports the center. He got to take up the slack. He got to get the other 10 rebounds per game, 15 to 20 points, 15, 20 points, um, maybe one block shot a game. Maybe a steal. And you got the small forward. The small forward is another person that's going to support the guys in the middle. The difference is he's going to be a, a more of a scorer. Now, this guy got to be able to give you 17, 25 points a game a night. He got to be giving you about eight rebounds a night. And then at the same time, he got maybe he may not get block shots, but he will get steals. He won't fall out. He keep his player from he keep his team his, his opponent from scoring. That's that's what he has to do. Now, how does he do that? He keep him from going around and getting to the basket. Okay, we got that established. Now you got your shooting guard. This is your primary shooter. His job is to score buckets. His job is to shoot most. Get uh, get to the well, score buckets. That's his job. Your number two guard's job is to score. That's his job. He should be giving you anywhere between 15 to 25, maybe 30 points tonight, depending on, depending on the guy. Now, so we got those four positions taken care of. Now we got the point guard. This guy controls the whole floor. He sets the offense. He gets the ball to people when they need it. He runs the offense. He calls out plays. He decides who's going to sell a pick, who's going to shoot. I mean, he gets the ball to the right person at the right time so that they can score the easiest first. Now, he has to be able to score. He don't have to score. He got to be able to score if needed. Now, so we got all the positions straight. Now you go to your kid. <clears throat> okay. 
No matter how you look at it, you're gonna need a bird. You're gonna need birds raw from the front, from both sides, and and from the rear. No matter what, it have to be that way. But it can't be like a waterfall where the front goes, the middle goes, and the back goes. You gotta be simultaneous together. Now, the easiest way for them birds to do that is the birds have to have a good steady pace, not fast. The steady wing beat, ready to bust on the impulse when everybody's go, boom, right? Okay, now, people say, I don't like birds roll from the back. Somebody got to roll from the back. Sometimes the birds rolling from the back are the most important birds in the kit because those are the ones that's always rolling when they're supposed to pause and they're supposed to go. Sometimes the birds in the front is what's disrupting the kit because they're shooting out in front of the kit, causing other birds to chase behind them with strings to kill along where you get your brakes so small. And then that front bird usually turns before the kick gets the set and turn, turn, tear, turns and tear, tears everybody off course. Nobody, the break is messed up. The timing is off. So you got that. So everybody got to have position. We got that part, right? Everybody has a position. Now, what you need to do now, once you get everybody in the right position, what you're going to notice is when you get a kick that's mature, all the birds on the break will be almost in the exact same position on almost every break, just about. And you gotta recognize that when you're building the kit. And recognize when this piece of birds always toward the back. You pick up the back real well. This bird's in front, you pick up the front real well. Everybody can't be in the front. If they did, either they'd be racing to the front and not breaking, or they'd be a straight line going across. So we don't want that either. Okay, I'm picking up where I left off. Where was I? Oh, about the birds in the kit, the birds breaking together and all that kind of stuff. Everybody had the same position, blah, 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 blah. We got that stuff straight, right? We got it. Let's move on. Okay, now, the only way you're going to notice all this stuff happening, if you pay attention to the kit and not get stuck on just watching the roll. Don't get stuck on watching the roll. That's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Watching the roll, watching the roll, watching the roll. You gotta watch what's going on besides the roll. What is when this kit break? What is this? What are these birds actually doing? There are some birds that won't even be rolling on the break. They do a flip here, a flip there, a flip there, just to stay with the birds. Turn their bodies. Whatever they gotta do, is stay with the birds. If you ain't got those that's gonna lock in and commit, that's why a lot of dudes get them fives and sixes, eights and nines. You never get them big breaks. You got to put all them birds that want to commit. And then you got to recognize them birds that want to commit and who the parents are. All that's part of part of kid competition. All of that. <clears throat> you know one of the easiest ways when I was in ICRC, how, how I dominate when I did dominate. I kept everybody in the club worrying about what I was doing and not worrying about what they were doing in their own backyard. So when they come over and watch my birds, and I do well, you know what the first thing they act is what I feed them. What's this off of? Where you get that bird from? But they never asked what the birds, what, what, what the pair, about the pair. That's about birds, individuals. Who's off of? It's off this time, this. But they go out and buy one part of it, but leave the other part out and think they're going to have the same success. And they, they say, well, I, I got me some of them. I got one, got the, I one got two birds off this. I got two birds like that. I say, okay, good for you. In my head, I'm thinking, you still can't do what I did because you don't have the other pieces that I used to put with it. So, with that being said, <clears throat> when you're breeding for kick competition or you're flying kick competition, it's more than just the two birds you breed together. It's their parents, too. So, I look at like four birds. I don't go past the parents too much. I go to the next generation before them, which will be their parents. So, I say the mother and the father, you know, the mother and father on this side. 
I think of all four of them birds to see, think about what could possibly come up, come out, come out of the maintenance. That's how I look at it. What traits are actually there? You know what I'm saying? What traits am I going to get when I do this mating? So if there's any doubt in any one of them birds, I'm looking for it when they come out. I'm trying to see, see if that trait going to become dominant and going to show itself. If not, I keep on moving right along as long as the bird's moving right along. Now, you find your kick birds, you recognize which birds clean, which, which birds not. Every, every improvement you make in your birds should be done from within your law. That's all your improvements going to be. If you got to wait for a while, what you got to do is you got to learn how to manage the ones you have at hand in the kit to get the, the most production out of them. And that's what you got to figure out. You have to figure it out. The worst thing you can do, well, I can't say the worst thing you can do. What guys do is they depend on other people to fix whatever problem you might be having with their kit when they don't want to watch them every day. You watch them every day, but you want somebody to come over there and one time watch them one or two times and tell you what's wrong with your kit. But you watch them every day. You know what's wrong with them. You just want to make that move, that decision. You think it might be the wrong decision. The wrong decision might not be might be not doing nothing at all. It's not making a decision. But we all we all go through that. I've I've been through it. I just had to learn it as I went along. So now you got your kit flying. Right, we established that we got the birds going from all different areas in the kit. Older birds, younger birds, you add to them. The biggest mistake a lot of guys, another mistake that the guys make, not the biggest, is they keep a bird in their kit because it's 30 feet, like a bullet, but it don't go on no breaks. It might be twice a minute, but it don't go on no breaks. What that bird is doing is disrupting the kit. Sometimes it's best to go get a bird out of there that's a 20-foot smooth roller or a 10, 15-foot bird that go on every break than a bird that rolls 30, 40 feet like a bullet and don't go on no breaks. Take that bird out. He did not belong in your competition kit. But you might put him in the 11-bird kit or flying for fun or put him in another kit, but he does not go on that kit that you're going to compete with. He's going to disrupt the kit because if he trigger, most time he's going to trigger one, two, three, four more birds just like that. Trigger one, two, three, four birds go, no break. And then three go, no break. Instead of him waiting for the red boss and trigger at the same time and bust. See, I'll take them suckers out and put them in another kit, no problem. Because I need these suckers to roll together. And that's and, and guys won't do that. They want they were they would have people say, ooh, look at that spin. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But you ain't scoring no points. And they say they don't care. But you flying a kick competition. How come you don't care if you flying kick competition? Why flying kick competition if you don't care about trying to win kick competition? What you want to do is fly burst and ooh and ah, because that strokes your ego. Keep your ego out of this and just fly some good fly some good kits. That's that's one thing they do. They want the ooh ah factor, but they don't care if they you don't care if they win or lose. Just so let alone people say ooh ah. Who cares what people saying ooh and ah for if you're trying to win? That's why you're not winning. It's not because the birds are wrong, because you're not managing your kit. Period. So when dudes say that they ain't trying to win, all these long, long people still spin. I say, okay. So you just trying. You don't want to win. That's basically what you're saying. You don't really want to win. But that tool can be a good tool. Those can be two good tools too, if you use them in the right form. But this in the kit competition is not the right form for them. Individual, yeah, put them in the individual kit. Put them in the kit. You show people to make them say ooh ah. They want to come and just watch, get that ooh ah effect. 
That's cool. That's cool. No problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, now you got all your birds going. You got the birds that's going on breaks. Even if some going short, they will eventually stretch out if they're young. Another thing, people always depend on young birds. It's like when you have a, a, a any kind of sports team, anyone, and they say, oh, they, they didn't win because they was too young. Same thing with pigeons. They didn't win because they was too young. No, they, they was too young. They were too young. They, were, they, hadn't, they hadn't came into their own yet. Their personal identity hadn't been set yet. They were still developing. That's why it's so hard to win with young birds. Like win on a high, on a large, on a higher scale. That's what I mean. I don't mean like if they score a hundred something, you score two hundred. No, come on, when they scoring six or seven, and they still scoring two hundred, they just a little too young. And a lot of guys depend on that. And I try to figure out why they depend on that. <clears throat> is it because they don't know how to manage an old bird kit. Or is it because their bird's not able to perform at a high level once they get mature? Both can be true. And in some instances, both are true. And sometimes they're true separately. Now, me, I love holdover kits. I, I, I love them. I roll with them all day. I, I, I just keep building, building on it. Any, any superstars come up, it's gonna place anybody that's lacking. But I never do it the last minute. I always try to do it at least, at least a week and a half in advance. At least, I try. But sometimes you're unable to, so I leave that that there. But then you have the guy that had these kids. It's like they're always starting over every year. Why? I mean, I heard people say they. Holder kits are too hard to manage, too hard to handle. That's probably with the birds you, they have or the birds the line they cultivated. That's what the problem is. And sometimes it's not because the birds are old, because you cultivate that line to be hard to manage when they get become holdovers. There are guys right now that had young birds all year bragging about how good they was gonna be. And right now they're bragging about the young birds that's, that they got coming out this year instead of seeing their holder kits that they got held over. Because they themselves know that them birds are not going to be able to take them to over the, to the promised land. Them holdovers. They know that. So, just watch guys. They always start from a young kid. It's, it's not always the hawks. It's the birds they have. Watch guys. When guys brag about their kids when they're young. I got a young kid this, young kid that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been at the end of the year. And next year, they're following. They're talking about. The young birds from that year and the young, older birds, the, the would have been the older birds from last year, and they don't discuss them no more. Where did those birds go? They sold them, maybe so. They lost most of them, maybe so. They didn't turn out to be as good as they thought they would, maybe so. So all the stuff you got to think about right there. Think why do, why do these people never have good holdover kits? It's not always because the birds are getting lost. Just half of them can be leaving, some can be rolling down. Some can stop rolling. Some can stop kidding. All that you got to think about. Why is dude going to fly a hold of a kid, but he's been breeding for five years. Why well, ain't got a hold of a kid? <coughs> Excuse me. So you got to think about all that. Okay, now. More components to think about. We're going deeper into it. We're going deeper. Let me see. Kid competition. You can select your birds. You got the birds from the right angles. You're trying to figure out all the problems you may have in this kid competition. 
Then you gotta figure out wing speed. Let's just talk about wing speed and fly flight pattern. The flight pattern that birds break on is the one is the best flight pattern is the birds or birds are accustomed to. Period. The figure eight is sometimes not realistic here because we got in some areas we got windy areas and it's not gonna be easy to get a kid to go to fly figure eights. But if they fly like like a guy style Mendez flew, his birds never flew a figure eight and they would bust when they get to the same point every time or halfway there. Every time. So it, it lets you know they don't have to fly a figure eight. It would help some kids because some birds trigger once they turn the opposite direction. Some don't. Now, I like birds with a small wing, a good, nice, really good apple body with a good pitch, but a little depth in the keel. Not too deep, but with some depth in the keel. Those birds like it's easy to control their height. Um, smaller wing means they're going to have to have a little cool, a cool, steady stroke. <clears throat> if they're bigger the wing, they can float around and soar all, all, all over the place. We don't, we don't want that either. <clears throat> on the right keel pitch, have the birds flying at a certain angle where their bodies are not straight. They're like lifted up, tilted slightly in the front when they always like they're ready to roll. <clears throat> That's just me. It works for me. Anybody who's seen my birds know how my birds make this get a certain age and they start flying slow. Figure out what feed works the best for your birds. I mean, you can t ask people just to get an idea of what they use. But whatever you start using, what your bird's going to be accustomed to as you start flying them. See, a higher protein is not really bad if you feed them a low amount of high protein. Now, if you're feeding a cup and a half of high protein, and I feed a cup and a half of low protein, see, it is, it, that's the two different variables, and then it can affect your kids differently. I don't think rollers need more than 16. I don't think they need more than 14%, tell the truth. I don't think they need that much. Because they only require to do their job for 20 minutes. They're not required to fly hours and hours. 20 minutes is all they need. They're only going to be sore for 20 minutes no matter what. Never over 20 minutes, but more than 15 minutes. And sometimes you got to condition them to get there. Sometimes it's not all about feed. It's about conditioning. <clears throat> So those are some of the small things I look for. Color don't play a part as much as people think. Like dudes think color means stiff. Uh, certain color means frequency. White means frequency. Red means frequencies. Um, spangles mean, mean frequency. Blue check and blue bar. Red bar, those mean stiff pigeons. No, oh, that's a bunch of bull. That's a bunch of BS. I'm telling you it is. Because... You, there's no way you can tell me if you got two two blue checkers that was hard workers in your kit. I mean, work going two and three times a minute, going on every break, and you put them together, and their babies do the same thing. And you put and keep breeding like that, and their babies do the same. You can't tell me just because they blue check they're gonna stiffen up. No way. All and another thing, all blue checkers are not hard. I had to show people that last weekend. Just because a blue checker or blue one don't mean it's a hard pigeon. I, I, I had to prove it to people. Let me show you something. I gave them a blue check and a blue bar. Soft as any spangle you want to see. You know, it matters. And they, they, they was like, man, you're right. I said, because it's not about the color. It's about your selection, how you put the birds together. That's it. It's just that simple. 
saying that every blue check is going to be stiff after a while, saying like every red, bro, every red, white flight is going to be, going to be in a row now because they got white flights or it's red. Not true. So, so if you, when people try to argue with me about that, I'm like, okay, you think that there's no, but you can't tell me that I know there's no way you won't tell me that just because you put blue checkers together, they're going to get stiff. No, that's not why they stiff. The reason why those birds get stiff is because people select blue checkers that are infrequent from the beginning based on their speed alone. And they get another one the same based on their speed alone. Not its regularity, not its frequency, not how hard it works in the kit. They ain't thinking about doing that. They're going to buy speed alone. And after a while, you keep doing that, the birds are going to get stronger and they are going to get stiff. They're going to get strong mentally and physically. And they're, they're, going, to, they're going to figure out, wait a minute, you know what? I ain't got to roll if I don't want to. And they're not going to roll when they, if they don't want to. You got to understand something. This is a Birmingham roller pigeon. If it was up to nature, they wouldn't roll at all. So we got to keep putting in what we need to put in to keep them rolling. Period. You have to do that. You got to stick for them birds. You have to. Because which birds are always getting caught? The harder workers. I mean, I'm just saying. And those strong birds, that them strong birds that hardly ever roll, they hardly never get caught. So we kept flying and doing that way. Guess what's going to be left? Those strong birds that's always flying strong and never get caught. And after a while, the birds won't be rolling. That's why that stiffness happens. And there's happen to be blue checks. I haven't seen red birds do the same thing in kids that don't want to roll, that don't roll too much, don't commit. I haven't seen that too. I haven't seen white birds do the same thing. I haven't seen, matter of fact, I haven't seen blue check, uh, blue check birds roll down to more than any other color. Remember, this might be a different pattern, maybe blue check bash, white flight, but I haven't seen more blue checks roll down to any other color, period. I've never seen, I've personally never seen a cream roll down. I mean, roll down. Let's throw all the way down. I've never seen one. I've also never seen a true almond roll down. I have never seen it. I ain't said it don't exist. I've never seen it. But in all these years later, I've seen several blue checkers, whether it was self, mixed wing, marked, badge, saddle. I've seen several blue checks roll down, and blue checks and red checks. So the color is a thing, is a myth. If you keep picking the birds that were hard workers, trust me, the birds will stay frequent. Just always oh, gotta keep putting those kind of birds into the loft. And the birds, they're not gonna get stiff because of a color. Trust me, it's not gonna happen. There's no way you can get me to believe that all blue checks, uh, that's all blue checks of a bird that's from three generations of birds that they're hard workers gonna be stiff because they're blue checks. No, I don't believe that. And nobody, nobody proved that to me either. It's all about selection. That's the key. Like I told you guys in Pigeon King, selection is the key to everything. Because you select the birds you're going to use in the first place, right? You select which birds going to breed to which birds. You select which birds you're going to put in your A-team. You select which ones you're going to call from your A-team. You select which birds what's going to stop. It's all selection. There is no way around selection, period. And your selection process got to be on point. I mean, some people can just see birds and get an idea what they got in them and see what they got in them. Or, you know, certain families, so you know what they represent. Yeah, okay, I got that. I do that sometime too. But 
we're talking about kick competition, so we're gonna try and base on the birds what they show you. That's the best, that's the best teacher if they show you, because everybody can't pick birds from the ground. I would advise people to do that. Fly them so you can see what's actually there in your mating. We're not flying birds to see if they roll. We flying birds to see to what degree they roll. Fast, slow, deep, shallow, um, stable, unstable, dangerous, hot. I mean, all the little things we had. We, 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 we say all those slogans and slangs we say. We got, we, that's why we, that's why we want to fly them, to get all that out. So now, once you realize what they have in them, now you know how to breed them to get your maximum production out of them. Because we're not going to take a bird that roll 40 feet on every breaking is dangerous to a bird that's 60, 70 feet that's just as dangerous. Your danger level increases too. So we got all our kick competition stuff down. I think this is the last time I'm pretty much going to talk about kick competition stuff until somebody asks me about kick competition. We're going to get into the actual actual breeding. Yeah, yeah. This right here is just going to be a preload to the next segment, which is going to be mostly breeding. If you got, you find your kit, you're trying to decide what you want to breed. If, if it's for kit competition, select those birds. Even if you only end up with three pair, three pair, good pair is better than three good pair than five pair that just, they're just there. Get the three good pair. Now, <clears throat> you're going to select birds. What you want to try to do is select so they all be on a, all pair and be produced on the same level. One pair is always going to produce better than the other. It's always going to be a pair that's worse. And it's always somebody in the middle. But your worst should be good enough to make it to your A-team. And your best should be the birds that are key birds in your A-team. That's, that's how you want to look at it. There's got to be a minimum and a max. So if you breed them, you will try to get everybody to be on the same page, but that's, that, that don't happen all the time. So you're going to have a, min, a, a, a minimum and a max. So you got to figure out what's going to be the max, what's going to be minimum. What, what, what are the birds that you would say, you know what, it's not exactly what I want, but I can work with that. And you're going to be the bird to say, okay, that's what I want right there. When you got birds saying that that's not exactly what I want, but that's good. I can work with that. Now, that scene is, is big, and that's how you select your birds for pairing. You put your birds together to get the best of both those birds into one pigeon. So, if you if if you're trying to get if five is the best, and you're trying to get all the pairs to equal fives, why not have all the pairs try to equal four? First, if five is the best, have all the pairs equal four. And then when you breed the babies off those, you select the best of those to get you your fives while keeping the ones that got you the fours. And as you get a couple of pairs that make the fives, you start getting rid of the pair that, that got you a little bit under four. Get rid of that one. And you slowly build up like that. That's what you do. It's a little hard right now because how we got to deal with the hawks and falcons. I understand that, but that's what you gotta do to build the birds to get to where you want to go. And you gotta know some of the traits you look for in your birds. If you want me to break down traits, I do another segment. We're already 35 minutes into this one, so what I'm gonna do right now, I'll tell my roller agenda crew. I'm gonna call it a night right now. And I'm gonna say good evening. But if you are interested, 
starting your own podcast, go to Anchor FM. It's Anchor. Actually, it's Anchor.fm to start your own podcast. And you, too, can have can do, can talk what you want to talk about. Any subject don't have to be pigeons. It can be anything. It can be cooking. It can be whatever. Bike riding, putting the bike together, making furniture, construction, whatever you think you want to talk about. It can be your own podcast. So, with that being said, remember, it's the Roll Agenda. We signing out. Peace.